welcome back to another Ag Watchers. Uh, we've got a special guest all the way over from Geneva. We thought, you know, we needed, you know, with Matt and I being sort of fairly, fairly uncultured oafs, as people call us. Uncouth. Uh, uncouth and whatnot, or as my mum would say. We thought uh, we'd get a special guest to add a bit of culture to the podcast. And so we got Swift and Still. Uh, all the way from Geneva. Is it Geneva you're in or is it somewhere else? I'm not actually in Geneva itself. I'm just outside Geneva near Lausanne. Lausanne. A little town called Morge. Morge, which is on the lake front of Lake Geneva. Yeah. I should have known that because we look at your pictures all the time when you show off in the summer. <laughs> Swiffin, tell us, tell us quickly uh, who you are and, and what you do, what your sure. background is. Sure, sure. So my name is Swithin Still, and I've been in the ag business for 20 years, more than 20 years. I got into it in 1999 back in London, and I was invited to become the director of a small startup um, company, which at the time was leasing land in the south of Russia. And my first uh, proper job really was um, operations execution. And I had uh, colleagues who were importing agricultural machinery uh, into Russia from Europe and from the USA. And we had an office in uh, Berkeley Square, which is in the center of London, which is my old stomping ground. That's where I'm originally from. I was born in um, Belgravia, which is uh, right there, central London. And um, yeah, so that's how I got into it. It was very fortuitous meeting with someone who was actually involved in the oil and gas industry. And they had an opportunity to do a management buyout of um, a non-core business of the company they were working at and invited me to come on board. And I didn't really know whether that was what I wanted to do. So I kept my feet in two camps. I was working for my employer and I started <clears throat> talking to this uh, new employer um, part-time, uh, started uh, you know, sort of one day a week. And then I thought, yeah, this is really interesting. Um, I grew up in the country in Hampshire in England. And um, so I guess uh, farming was more natural to me than oil and gas. So I had it in my blood somehow. Um, and and 20, <laughs> 20 years later, you're still here. So still here, still loving it. Um, it's a great business. It's a fantastic uh, people business. It's real. It's, you know, producing, not producing, but trading food, uh, essentially ingredients. I mean, the, the raw materials of the stuff we eat, you know, Pasta, biscuits, bread, yeah, the stuff of life. So and I think we're doing overall a pretty good job as an industry, moving grains from places of uh, surplus to places of deficit, obviously trying to make a margin as traders in, in between. Um, yeah, so from London, 99, 2000, I moved to Paris in 2001. I uh, worked for the same company there for a couple of years. And then the decision was taken to close the London office and the Paris office and to set up an office uh, here in Switzerland, near Lausanne. <clears throat> so I've been here since 2003. I left that company in 2009 and set up a small company here in this office that I'm actually sitting in now called Allegro, uh, which actually ceased trading this year. Um, and in 2011, I joined and helped set up another company, which is still around called Solaris Commodities. Um, I parted ways from Solaris last year, 
when the company was bought and they entrusted the next chapter to a new team and moved it to Geneva. And in fact, the successor of my successor is one of your compatriots, um, Josh Martin. Yep, Josh. Uh, yep. Not official. He's um, apparently oh, no. no announcement yet. But uh, Josh, Josh is a good fellow. He's, uh, He's a the, very good. I would, I would tell you about the last time that I met Josh, which was in a uh, in a French restaurant in WA in Perth, uh, before he uh, before he got papped on to a, a red-eye flight back to Melbourne. Yeah. And we weren't quite sure if you'd get on it, but anyway, that's a story for another day. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Swiffin, we, we, we've started a new thing, yeah? Uh, I don't know if you've listened to the last two podcasts. Uh, you probably haven't because you're a busy man. Uh, so so we, we're trying to add a bit of psychology into our podcasts. We want to get, okay. we want to get to know the real, the real you, you know, and, you know, as uh, as as students of the mind, and 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 having a wife who's a psychiatrist, you know, we're trying to we're trying to be a bit more, you know, a having a bit of culture with you, but also a bit of science. So so we've got the uh, sixth sense, which is our uh, quick fire round, six questions. Okay. And what association it is. What association? association yeah. So <laughs> you've given us you've given us the run, the very eloquent rundown of background and now we're going to just fire six different words at you and you, you just okay. tell us what first thing that comes to mind it can be a word or a phrase Andrew. Yeah. Wow, this is uh, really putting me on the spot i have not heard these six questions before so no, uh, no we haven't even heard them yet because we've still not made them up yet so we'll do it as, <laughs> as we go along okay go ahead matt, matt you first brexit boris johnson <laughs> 2010. Oh, export tax. Um, the longest working days of my entire career, probably 12-hour days. That was madness. Yeah, I was as long, I think, 200,000 tonnes of Russian wheat in the interior. And then... Um, that, that's, long, that's longer than one word, Stephen. So <laughs> We might come yeah. back to that one. We, we might come back to it, though. Go ahead. Yeah. I guess. Third one. Haggis. No. Haggis. Haggis. No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> I think he misheard you. He, he meant yes, please. Yeah. Pretty sure it was a fairly uh, good no, yeah. thank you. Disgusting. <laughs> Australia. Wonderful. He's a diplomat. Putin. Mm. <laughs> President. We're <laughs> diplomatic again. Boris Johnson. Bordia. Bojo. There we go. Oh, yeah. Right. So we'll 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 send these answers off to 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 my wife, and she'll come back with an assessment. Okay. And whether it means we'll have to get in contact with the Swiss authorities and get you, you know, Section. sections under the Mental Health Act. You know, we'll we'll see. Okay. So you made a good point there. 2010. Yep. Absolutely mental time. Like yeah, mental time. I remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and it was uh, <clears throat> very very intense. I'd actually yeah, like I said, we'd seen the market as bullish. We were long, mostly wheat. I think about 200,000 tons, 
and barley um, off crop. We'd bought, um, well, my partners in Russia had bought from the farmers uh, in rubles, um, a significant um, stack of wheat and barley. And we were actually in the process of trying to lock in some profits. So on the 4th of August, I sold 50,000 tons to Jordan. And at the time, it was still 50,000 tons to Gask. And uh, then on the 5th of August, they announced that there would be an export ban in 10 days' time, so on the 15th of August. So you, you can imagine that um, there was panic stations, everyone was frantically trying to fix freight, and I'd actually flown to Nice, to Cannes on holiday. I was on holiday with my family, so I, I literally got the first flight back, and then I was in the office for 10 or 12 hours a day working trying to fix freight i mean finding buyers is not a problem um they were queuing up uh, waiting to um, to buy um but we just didn't know whether we could get it all out we we did in the end we got every single last ton out um which was great we made huge profits i mean the company made uh, good money i remember i was actually buying from other traders uh, spot because we managed to fix freight and on a one handy size 25,000 ton vessel, I bought, I think, around um, the 6th or the 7th of August. And we sold it on the 10th of August and made million dollars, million dollars profit. You, 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 so you're, you're a well-connected sort of a fellow. You, you'll know yeah. what's happening. You always know what's happening. You know. <laughs> but what's the, what are the people who, you, you did well from that, but what are yeah. the people, people who obviously didn't do well from from those export bans who couldn't fix the freight what happened there um well i mean one of the uh the biggest fallouts from from that export ban was a company called ross interagora service um rias it was known as rias um they were a big russian trader doing uh, some of the biggest volumes uh, back in 2010 and they'd uh, financed uh, a lot of um purchases inland um, and when the banks went to say okay there's now an export ban you know let's check where the stocks are and what you're going to do with them they weren't there they had been certified as um, being there and I, I don't think I'm divulging too many home truths but yeah, it was a massive fraud and uh, the guy behind it uh, ended up being arrested um, he did some time here in Lausanne. Uh, he was extradited when he flew to Germany. So yeah, that was one of the biggest fallouts. You know, you only see who's swimming naked uh, when the tide goes out. Um, <laughs> and otherwise, I mean, it was a tough year for everyone really involved uh, in the Russian grain business and, you know, the export of grain because their, their raison d'etre was taken away. So, you know, I diversified uh, we tried to trade other origins we traded the other products um, that weren't covered by the ban you know these niche products but everyone had the same idea so we we're all kind of long wheat brown pellets and all these other kind of things like uh, sugar beet pulp pellets <laughs> and actually um, the market wasn't that great for those other things so i think a few people got burnt in niche products that they didn't really know about but um, they needed something to trade. And they just thought, you know, a rising tide will float all boats. And to a certain extent, it did. I mean, 
you know, French wheat, I think, uh, rallied $50 in the couple of weeks from the 5th of August. Because, yeah, I mean, all the buyers, they had to look to other origins. Um, so, yeah, a lot of rumors about whether, you know, Glencore was somehow behind the decision to make that um, a ban because they were long other origins. Um, they'll deny that. Um, I mean, I think uh, maybe no smoke without fire. But anyway, yeah, it was a very, very interesting and challenging time. Well, um, we, we had a, we had a, I guess when you say rising tide lifts all boats, like in Australia at that point of time, we had, we had a tale of, a tale of two sort of states at that point. We had yeah. the Western Australia, which was that year, was an absolute disaster. Yeah. It was, it was the worst crop we'd ever had, I think. And we yeah. had, the East Coast, which was absolutely flooded. I don't know if you remember that, Matt. Remember when Toowoomba got like... Yeah, houses, houses, houses going down, you know, getting taken away. A bit like what you've seen in parts of Europe and that this year. And it was yeah. and it was pretty bad because I, I, I just remember what we spent the whole time. I was working for Cargill at the time. And all we did was spend about six months washing out farmers' contracts who had sold grain at, say, I don't know... <laughs> $220 a ton because it was it was an attractive price. Mm-hmm. And because of the export ban, it was suddenly $400 a ton. And they were, yeah. getting a, they were getting a bill for that. And it's a horrific sort of thing. But I do remember from that year, and, and I'm going off on a bit of a, a Hoiberg tangent. And uh, Hoiberg doesn't like these tangents. He says, no. we, should, we, shouldn't, we should, he says, we shouldn't talk about Scotland. We shouldn't talk about my mother. And we shouldn't go on tangents. <laughs> and I'm going to do all three of them. Um, no and at that time, I was in Perth. And my mother phoned me up because of all these floods in Toowoomba to say, are you, are you okay with those floods? You know, you, you're staying safe, aren't you? Until I explained that, you know, Moscow was about as close to, to my parents as I am to Toowoomba. Because they just yeah. see it in the news, they think, oh, it must be close. But yeah. it was like yeah. a six and a half hour flight away. And, and that's when, when the scale of Australia really sort of hit home for me, actually. But disastrous year and just just horrific. So, yeah. so I've actually in my drawer next to me, I've still got the brochure, the flyer that we produced um, back in 2011, um, when we were trying to diversify into other products. And one of the products was flour because wheat flour wasn't under the ban. So yeah. we started trading Russian wheat flour into. Well, Libya actually was one of the biggest markets because of the war and they had um, a lot of problems with their own milling industry. So the, they were importing flour uh, directly and also through Tunisia. So we produced this little broken. <laughs> they, actually, they, they wanted me to be on the uh, front cover. And I said, no, no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, just just be, be, because it's a podcast, I'll just read that out. It's it's a, it's a brochure that says, "Is it snow? No, it's flour from Russia." <laughs> Jeez, Jesus. So yeah, there's my old business card, as it used to be. <laughs> yeah. And uh, then we did rice, rice because they had a, a rice mill as well. We were do, they, do, they, do they grow rice. rice in Russia? Oh yeah, yeah, they do. It's called the rapan rice. It's um. It's kind of round. Um, yeah. Okay. So they mostly use it for domestic consumption. It's kind of like um, the corn production in Russia. It's not significant, wasn't significant enough to be an export item. But um, back in 2010, yeah, we, we exported some rice. 
uh, paddy rice mostly. Um, so yeah, and then a whole list of other kind of products, mostly oil seeds, but you know. Sorry, it was quite. Milk. It was quite reserved to. Uh, it was quite reserved to go with the snow angle rather than the cocaine angle, though. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean it was Russia, yeah. So people think Russia. It's snowing all the time. It's cold. Um, well, I guess that's you could you could reuse the brochure if you're doing some business out of Colombia. You could say, <laughs> maybe is, is it snow? No, it's no, it's Pablo's Coke. <laughs> was that um, was that the hairiest time? That, that period you've seen like in your, in your careers with it or, or have there been other times that kind of... Yeah, I mean, that was certainly, I think that tops the list of the, the hairiest time. I mean, that was two weeks of uh, my life where I was really working um, very, very long hours, very stressed. I mean, the freight was the most stressful thing. Um, if you had a, a freight, then, you know, it was easy to make the sales. But it was actually the logistical challenge because, you know, the coasters, we were shipping out of the Azov Sea. <clears throat> the coaster freights, I remember... Um, they went from about uh, $35 uh, into Egypt to $100, over $100. Um, and, you know, defaults left, right and centre. Charter parties were being cancelled. Oh, we're not going to make our, you know, dates. Sorry. And it just so happens that, you know, we've fixed it. Fix something else. <laughs> you know, so that was certainly top of the list. Second of the list was actually when I first really became a trader back in 20. 08, 2008, um, mm. because I've been in execution and then in freight, and then I was a, like a junior trader. And I'd been working under a chap called um, Chris Van Honecker, who actually went on to be the trader at uh, Rias, which I mentioned earlier. Um, and 2008, if you remember, was uh, very, very bullish uh, prices. Crazy um, time as well. Crazy times, yeah. So that was uh, baptism of fire. And it was back at that time that I sold. I think what for me is the highest ever soft milling week price um, that I know of anyway, I sold to TMO, which is the Turkish um, you know, grain board, like Gask in Egypt, yep. at $535 uh, cost and freight Trabzon. Um, and I remember we fixed freight at 15 bucks. So that's $520 FOB uh, Novorosis for a handy size of 12 protein soft milling week which I don't know of a higher price, um, actually. So I'm going to claim the record. It's interesting because you, 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 you started in, in execution, yeah? Yeah. And so yeah. You, you spent quite a bit of time in execution then, from probably about 10 years, give or take? Yeah, so I was um, basically in execution operations, uh, 99. <laughs> yeah, I mean, almost 10 years. So, yeah. Not all the 10 years was just that. It was, um, I moved into freight. We were doing uh, freight. So I was in the freight department for a bit. And then I became like a junior trader. So I was the understudy of uh, a couple of traders. And then they moved on. And I basically, um, yeah, became uh, the senior trader, the only trader at uh, that company, which is Agrico, back in um, 2008. Because I got told something way back when I was a graduate probably before i was a graduate when i was an intern and uh, when i was working in glasgow it would be you put my norm andrew mckay uh, oh sure he's the head of sefetra now that's right yeah and uh, and he always said you know what the best way to start is an execution absolutely right and because otherwise if you, if you jump into that sort of trading role you don't really understand the logistics or, or or the execution of the contracts and that's where you 
you lose and make your money. So, because we yeah. al- we always hear like a, a lot of like younger guys like. 21, 23, 24 over here who are like, oh, I want to get in a trading role. I want to get in a trading role. And it's just like, A, I don't think it's as exciting as they think it is. Yeah. <laughs> and B, they don't want to do any of the, in quotation marks, boring stuff. So, <coughs> ah, yep, yep, yep. Is that, that, who's that on the left hand side? I don't know which way is left and which way is it, right, but the opposite side right of Andrew Mackay. Yeah, opposite and from Andrew. The, on the other side of me is a guy called Mark Budd. He's a Br- Bristol-based... Mr. Bristol Contrad, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Mark, did... Mark, but that was at the Locust uh, dinner, as you can see from the... Big from animals. the Locust. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, don't have to, I don't have the listeners uh, do that for me with the Locust event in the UK, Andrew. You might want to give another... No, I know about it. I know about it. But, but I think it's a fantastic amazing story I, have to, I tell everyone about it it's almost as good and it's another tangent it's almost <laughs> yeah. as good and you know what i'm going to say yeah, yeah i do <laughs> it's almost as good as the carding night yeah. yeah so 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 matt and i uh, on our website we do articles on the world trade mm-hmm. the only reason we do articles on the world trade is so we legitimately can go to the carding night world dinner which <laughs> is <laughs> <laughs> so, so, we, so we write an article once a week on wool just so we can go to one event in July every year and it's I don't Basically, know I don't, big, know, I don't big, even I don't even know stir. are we even <laughs> allowed big... to, are we even allowed to talk about it well uh, uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure if we're breaking well, some so we might get we might go missing the bottom of the I don't worry up in the bottom of the harbour no, nobody in the wool industry knows how to use a podcast anyway like they won't be able to use a phone. They'll be on a Nokia thirty three ten. But but it's 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 a great it's a great sort of really nineteen sixty style dinner. Like there's no holds barred. But tell tell us about the locust dinner because it's it's got a fascinating story. Uh, so the locust dinner is uh, is an institution that goes back you know, a couple of hundred years. <clears throat> the the Liverpudlian traders um, were I think long and wrong wheat um, and then. There was a locust plague in Argentina, which wiped out the crop and prices rallied and they made out like bandits. And so they were so happy that they invited everyone in their companies to have a, you know, huge lunch. I think it was actually a lunch, not a dinner. And everyone came from the tea boy to the managing director. And it was not a formal event initially. It became a kind of black tie dinner after. Um, and in fact, it was my first event. I'd not been to the Locust Dinner ever before. I'd heard about it. It was my first event as Gafter president, which uh, was back in 2019. I went, and it was my very first outing with uh, you know the regalia, the you know, medal, and all the rest. Um, and so I had the formal photos done and stuff like that at the beginning. And then the head of the Locust uh, said, "I'm going to have to ask you now to remove your regalia." I thought, regalia, what's he on about? So I had to take off the medal, basically, because I couldn't outshine. The only person who's allowed to wear any regalia, i.e. a medal, is um, the head of the, the locusts. So, yeah, I had to put it under my under my shirt. I didn't want to leave it in my room because it was like, it's quite valuable. It's solid gold. It's like uh, in, in Australia, the, the, the town mayor or whatever that, that has the, the kit, or whatever it's called, probably it is called the regalia. And it's all mm. solid gold kind of stuff as well that they when they're going and doing a, a special yeah. event. 
Yeah, it was funny though, because I was in Liverpool um, just doing a bit of sightseeing before the dinner. And I went to the Tate um, Museum and there was the Lord Mayor, uh, or Mayoress actually, it's the lady, who was showing around some Japanese tourists. Um, Liverpool's a very popular destination for, for Japanese tourists, the association of uh, Yoko Ono and you know, the Beatles, John Lennon. Anyway, so I saw her with her, you know, massive uh, <laughs> you know, gold medal. And I said, snap, you know, oh. I've got mine underneath my shirt. She goes, oh, wow, what's that? And I said, I have to explain about, you know, Gafta. And anyway, she said, oh, well, you're only here for the day. Um, you know, we like to treat our VIP guests well. So I'll show you around town. And she's had a chauffeur-driven car. And we went all around Liverpool. She showed me all these places. It was fantastic. Liverpool has really changed, though. Liverpool used yeah. to be a, be a yeah. dive. It's a bit like Glasgow, yeah. actually. Glasgow used to be a dive, yeah. but it still is a dive. But, Liverpool, but, yeah. but Liverpool's actually improved. Yeah, yeah, so, it's been regenerated a lot. Um, and I found it a very beautiful place. I mean, all the jokes about you can't leave your car out because they'll steal your hubcaps or your tyres, you know, all that, those days are gone. It's so beautiful. That, that's, that's still in Glasgow, though. Can't comment. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true, uh, from, from my experience. So, like one one of the one of one of the things you mentioned, we we're talking there about that 2010 and how absolutely sort of crazy it was. Uh, and then we we hear a lot of people sort of saying, "Oh, it's, it's the same just now in Russia. We've got export bans and whatnot." Well, what do you think the effect of these like these export bans are nowhere near the same? They're not even export bans, export taxes. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah. but it's nowhere near the same as it was back then. No, I mean, it, it's uh, incomparable because, you know, an export ban is an export ban. So, you know, you can't do anything. Uh, your hands are tied. So it's a ma matter of managing your risks. I think it's been very, very complicated uh, for the Russian exporters, frankly, this season with these floating taxes that have been introduced because they change every week. Um, and so there's a lot of um, issues with liquidity, uh, frankly, Everyone wants to sell spot. Um, they can predict that the export tax is going to be increasing you know, basically week on week, uh, certainly on wheat. And the expectation is that uh, we're going to be hitting you know, $90, maybe $100 a ton by December, January. So as a result, you know, the export pace has actually been relatively fast mm. because the other impending um, issue that uh, Russia has is the imposition of quotas in February well, latest February. So, I mean, the, the, there's, um, I think a lot of um, issues haven't really been fully thought through. I mean, they ostensibly, this is the purported reason, introduced these export taxes uh, for food inflation reasons. Uh, they wanted to, you know, have a cap on food inflation and ensure that they had enough grain for the domestic market. But, um, What's actually happened is prices have been firm and rising, partly as a result of the export tax imposition. So you've had a massive windfall for, for the Russian government. I think that they've earned over 400 billion rubles. They've said that they'll you know, invest it all back into the industry, but mm. I think that's clear that that's not going to happen. So far, only 100 billion has been earmarked to be somehow given back to producers and or in subsidies somehow. 
So just about a quarter of what's been earned. And I think that um, the Russian government really should look to history, because if you don't learn from history, you'll be forced to repeat it. And what's happened in Argentina has been you know, a disaster, really. Well, it's just, if you actually look back, I'm yet to find, and I like to look at history, and I like to look at the, the sort of history of, of movements of food and, and whatnot. And it's really hard to actually find an example of government intervention in a market that has actually worked positively for anyone. Sure. And look, a good example is Australia in the 1920s. They had the most disastrous pol policy of, we will guarantee you a price for, mm -hmm. for wheat. And they said, basically, I can't remember what the price was, but X number of guineas or whatever it was. And it was way above what the world market was. Yeah. And so everybody took out a huge amount of debt to plant as much wheat as possible, produced at that time the biggest crop they ever produced, and expecting this guarantee of this price. What happened was the government hadn't anticipated that growers would react to that guarantee of price and grow shed loads of wheat. The reality yeah. was the, the Australian government then turned around and said, we can't afford to pay for this wheat. It was actually the stage where it was, it was in government that the government, if they had to pay for it, would go bankrupt. Well, they went, yeah. back, they went back again and did it with the wool, wool yeah. reserve scheme in the 1990s. So, you know, but, but, what, um, but what happened at that period of time was that they said, right, we'll give you half of what we promised. Yeah. And, and at that point, what, what happened was, I think it was something like 40,000. Somebody will tell me I'm wrong, but it was a big number of farmers had to leave the land because they couldn't pay the debts. And it was, it was yeah. a, a tragedy of government intervention in markets. Swithin, yeah. Swithin um, the, the viewers might, or the listeners, I should say, might not know you're, um, you're quite knowledgeable in Russia and, and actually affluent in Russia, Russian, I believe. Um, yes, so your vast array of contacts there, have you got any kind of clue as to how long this, this period is going to extend for in terms of this export kind of scenario and the, and the ban or, the, or the, the tariff they're putting in place on exports? Is, is there any kind of word on the ground there that, you know, it's going to last for X, X, X long or? Yeah, there's, there's really nothing I can uh, say because it's so unpredictable. And um, I think there's a lot of hope that um, they will see sense and somehow either reduce the floating taxes or eventually cancel them. But the word from Moscow is that uh, they're here to stay. Um, and so I don't think that we can expect any... Um, reduction in the export taxes uh, for the immediate future, unfortunately. I think that they <clears throat> see that uh, it's also a way of uh, better controlling uh, a key market. Um, it's a better way for them to get some consolidation uh, to allow for you know, Russian domestic uh, exporters to really dominate the market um, to the detriment of uh, multinationals. I mean, Glencore is still doing okay because they got a 50% share in one of the um, Black Sea silos in Taman. Uh, Cargill, they'll also have a foothold because they're 25% shareholders in one of the three port silos in Novorossiysk. Um, but Bungi have thrown in the towel, essentially. Um, and you know, Dreyfus are much less present than they were in Russia. Uh, they're more focused in Ukraine. Uh, ADM have a relationship with one of the exporters um, 
called artists. But I don't think um, that that's um, maybe sufficient for them to maintain um, a, a decent foothold in Russia. So I think it's going to be very complicated. And um, I just see further consolidation in the market. Because if you don't have uh, any export silo, then it's going to be very hard to compete with those that do because they can effectively charge themselves much less, um, charge competitors much more. And then if you're also being squeezed by a stubborn farmer on the other side not selling, then the margins get very, very thin, if not negative. So I well, think that, we've all that's... seen consolidation, 400 exports, I think, 10 years ago, uh, down to 200 uh, five years ago. And now we've got you know the top five exporters doing more or less 80% of the volume. That's exactly what we've seen in Australia. We had 2008, we had the end of the single desk, uh, which was the monopoly on, on grain exports. We had um, not as much as you guys, but we had like 28 or 30 approved exporters. And that's mm-hmm. really been whittled down by consolidation. And now really we're talking CBH in the West, uh, Viterra in South Australia, AWB Emerald, Graincorp, and that's it really. A few a few smaller players, but if you look at the volumes, it's all again those top four. And if you don't have the infrastructure, it's really hard. And that, that's interesting because I, I I've got a book here that you might not be able to see. I can uh, see it, yeah. I think I think everybody's got a copy. The only person that's not read this book is 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 Matt. Mm. Uh, you know, an absolutely fantastic book. Oh, commodity it's, conversations. That that rings a bell. That that uh, that name. Yeah. So so the. One of, one of the questions here to, to you, Swiffin, was how do companies, like you, were, you were at Solaris at this time, uh, when, you, when you did this interview, how does like a smaller company like Solaris or, or anyone else like that, of that scale, how do they survive when you've got these big players like Glencore? Do they just have to be more nimble or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it actually reminds me of a question that I had not, expected to have to field uh, at a big grain conference uh, or global grain in Geneva in November about six years ago there was a panel of the ABCDs and I can't remember who was on the panel but it was essentially people from yeah one of the ABCDs four of them on the stage and there was a a banker moderator who I knew um, and he asked the first question to me, I was sitting in the audience, so I was expecting to hear from these guys. As a small trader, how do you compete with these guys you know, on the stage? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you have to be nimble. I mean, that was really the honest answer. Um, you know, we didn't have the capital firepower. I mean, we, you know, we set up Solaris with, I think, 100,000 uh, Swiss francs capital. You know, we got loans from banks and you know, trade finance was easier back in 2011 than it is now. Um, but the real answer is, yeah, I mean, we had great partners in Russia who were very strong in origination. They had uh, good contacts with uh, the big network of uh, farmers throughout Russia, mostly in the south, in Krasada, uh, Stavropol, uh, Rostov, um, but, you know, throughout Russia. And so we were able to have a very lean, mean, small team. Um, we had good communication. Um, we made decisions about uh, going long or short, uh, making sales or not making sales. Um, and we were able to 
just be very reactive to where we saw the direction of the market. Um, so we, you know, we were nimble, we were fast, uh, we were taking decisions, uh, you know, quickly. And yeah, as a result, you know, Solaris was the largest trader of uh, Russian corn um, one season because we just saw the market very well. And I remember some traders uh, came up to me, the guy from Dreyfus goes, how are you doing it? You know, what do you do? Said, yeah, we just... Just hard work. Hard work. It's, it's really, there's no miracle. You know, you think it's easy, but it, there's just a lot of hard work. So we're doing long hours, crunching a lot of numbers. Um, and we had you know, a good network. We had, um, you know, good origination and then, you know, good buyers. So it was a good combination. So basically that's it. I mean, I think that... Solaris now obviously is in a different position um, than when I was uh, starting out with Solaris. <laughs> they have um, you know, more solid uh, you know, backers, partners in, in Russia with fantastic logistics. So that's in some ways easier um, for them to be competing with the ABCDs because uh, they have uh, great logistics and uh, port assets. Whereas at the time you know, we were just allocated quotas in various port silos so it was it was it was harder i just i just wonder we don't normally plug things on the podcast so if yeah. we, we don't like to do advertisements but i would like to plug you mentioned that you were at the global grain geneva you know last year or probably every yeah. year i'm guessing that it's this is, this is a worthy plug this one andrew this is a worthy plug part of the furniture uh, been part of the furniture at global grain for yeah for many years since the outset probably a decade and doing well, well, um panels uh, black sea panel i think i've been on every year for the last 10 years i'm not on this year so i did the black sea panel at a competing conference this month uh, sorry sorry to let you know swiffin but the reason why you're not on it this year is because you've been replaced by myself and matt (laughs) so so we will actually be and this is this is this is a live announcement actually they've gone they've gone lowbrow they've gone gone lowbrow instead of (laughs) They, they said what they said was they said we've got way too much culture we need yeah, we need we need to know, soften it we need to you know kind of... you know what what better way to sort of re- reduce the culture by getting an australian and a scotsman on right and and so what we'll be doing is we'll actually be doing the first ever and this could be an absolute disaster but but stefano from from yeah. Um, Global Grain has said who's, well, who's an avid listener of the who's podcast. an avid listener he's listening just now almost as goes, much as almost as much as Hoiberg yeah, so he gives us updates yeah. yeah but we will be doing a live ag watchers uh, and yeah. we'll have an industry representative from Australia and we'll have a, a contact from the UK and we'll be talking about the the issues with barley into China and all mm-hmm. the on the trade trade issues that we've got in Australia um mm-hmm. So it could end up an absolute disaster, <laughs> uh, but we will we will see, um, and we will we'll go from there. So that's that's a that's a live announcement. Uh, well, that's a unfortunately, we're not allowed to fly out there because we're still restricted by COVID sure. in Australia. We we were not even allowed to leave mm-hmm. our state. So yeah, I'm I might. Be, you know, I'm going to be going. I, I'm invited by Stefano to to go as a as a guest, and um, I'm kind of participating somehow in the background, but I Good. won't have the. Uh, the uh, the same role as I had in previous conferences as a you, you'll be, on the you, you might be you know providing teas and coffees to people and whatnot you know I, I doubt I doubt that 
Um, but I might actually be involved in the digitalization uh, panel uh, because I'm now an advisor for DCX Group, which is um, so far trading rice and fertilizers on two platforms called RiceX and Fertex. And DCX has a, a plan to launch next year in pulses and grains. Pulses. So, Good. Yeah. So it's a trading platform on blockchain, which is going to be trading grains and pulses. On Physicals. Blockchain. Physicals, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, closer to the time, we'll get you on to talk about yeah. that. Absolutely. So I'm, going to, I'm going to talk about another another tangent, you know, yeah. and and uh, one of the things that many people might not know is that I'm from Southwest Scotland, uh, which is otherwise known as God's country. And and Swiffin, you're also you're also a semi descendant. You're also a, a kind of a Dunhamer, as we as we. My mother's mother was Scottish, indeed, from from Dumfries. Yeah, you guys could be related. We could be related. Yeah, yeah. But although you're a lot more handsome than I am, so. And it, I've actually just for you, Andrew. I've got my family tree here. I, 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 thought, I thought that was. I thought that was. Yeah. What do you call it? One of those. Uh, you're going to do a, a, a caber toss. <laughs> it did we do? No, it's my family tree. <laughs> You're a family um, tree. Jeez, I, yeah. I, I, so it goes back to a guy called, um, I can't remember his name actually, Eric Jarl of the Upland. It's basically Viking. Vikings. From 700 and something. Yeah. Uh, but by the look of Andrew's uh, red beard and the Viking heritage you've got there, Smith and I, you must be absolutely related. Anyway. I mean, it looks more, like, uh, I've only more, got a bit of stubble today, but if I grow my beard out, there is also red in there. Well, that's probably the thing. But the way our families diverged, though, you know, one went one way, and you know, one went the other, and then we 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 yeah, the, high, we're, the high road and the low road. <laughs> my clan, my clan is the Lindsay Lindsay clan. Oh, yeah, Lindsay's, yeah, Lindsay's, yeah. We had we had a castle outside Dumfries, but they emigrated to England a long time ago, um, and uh, the castle fell into disrepair, long sold, and um, yeah. One of the things with Scotland and England as well is, and you don't realise it when you, until you go to a place like Australia, which I'm going to get in trouble here. But yeah, I'm, it, I'm better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but in Australia, you don't have all that much long-standing history. Mm. Apart from the apart from the apart from, years apart from of the original heritage. No, but yeah, apart, apart from that, put that aside. No, but you don't you don't have castles. No, well, everyone everyone loves a castle. Like, jeez. Yeah. We but call like, them castles. But, but like, if you go into sort of, uh, like, the UK, they're just everywhere. Yeah. And I, and I didn't notice that until I came, went back on holiday, you know. And, and like, we, like I, I've got a house in, in I was going to Glasgow, and they've got a castle there which has just been turned into a, a reservoir. It just sits in the middle of the water. And you think, a beautiful thing. It would have been beautiful, but it's just inundated. And, <laughs> You know, I've got lots of friends with farms and they've got castles in the grounds, which are just hundreds of years old. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. And yeah. if anyone's looking to go to Southwest Scotland, <laughs> there is a beautiful holiday home available for rent on Airbnb. And if you quote this podcast, you get one free can of iron brew per guest. And, uh, and, and, and a tin haggis. And a tinned haggis or mm. fresh black pudding for breakfast. So if you are looking for it, contact me on Twitter at wheatwatcher.com and uh, you'll be able to find it. Excellent. 
So, Swiffin, what? <laughs> sort of lost my train of thought there, actually. The uh, when it, when it comes down to yeah, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned there that the growers holding on to holding on to grain, yeah. Yeah, it, you know, as as a way of saying, well, I'm not going to hold off. I'm going to wait and hope that the market rises, or you know, yeah. hold grain. Do you think you've you've been in this industry for twenty odd years? Uh, do you think the grower? And I know you deal mostly with the trade, but mm-hmm. do you think the grower is more informed than they were twenty years ago? Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, information is now so easily available. Um, you know, farmers see the market you know, in Chicago on their, on their phones, on their smartphones. They have an opinion. You know, they subscribe to reports. They read about the market. Um, so overall, I mean, there's a lot of money, big money now in agriculture, and huge investments have been made. And so they have a vested interest to know what's going on and know where the values are, and then they take their own decisions as to whether they want to sell or store. And the days are gone of fire sales um, because farmers absolutely need to sell to get income to pay for their costs come harvest. They've all invested in farm storage and uh, they can just afford to sit and wait. They're getting relatively cheap finance. Um, and they've made very, very good money. Uh, frankly, a lot of uh, farms in Russia, um, you know, also in Ukraine uh, and Romania, they've made good money. And so they don't have to sell. They can wait. Yeah, and that's what we're finding at the moment. We, 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 when we look at things like Australian farmers, that's what most of my background now is in Australia. Uh, mm-hmm. But you, you tend to find that there's more and more people storing grain on farm. Mm-hmm. You know, no, for, for even even in the Australian point of view, there's tax incentives to to putting up silos. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we it's 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 a worthwhile thing. You can't buy a silo in Australia this year because they're all sold, every one of them, which which is a big issue for central storage, and mm-hmm. and and we will see see in in the future whether whether there are issues there with them actually getting access to farmers' grain. In in, yeah. in in five ten years because you know, we've seen this sort of real linear downtrend in the uh, the amount of grain that, as a percentage of the whole which is going into those uh, those storage sites. But again, a more informed farmer is better for the industry in general. I think still. I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, we need to produce more grain. I think that um, well, Malthus uh, was proved wrong about um, grain and uh, the rising populations. But I think that uh, there are new people who are inferring that we need to really make uh, greater um, but, but progress. What, but was, was he wrong? He might be right as it comes around. He might have spent a little bit ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think we can safely say he was wrong because he gave predictions. Uh, and it was <laughs> but, but, but it sometimes comes back if you hold it. Hold that, you know, in your view. Well, one thing Andrew Andrew made there about him being much more focused on Australia these days, and I want to take did, on. Did, if you want to know something, yeah. I've been in Australia most of my adult life. I'm, uh, that's what I'm getting to, and I'm going to ask. We've got someone on here now that's that's obviously 
born in England, but with the Scottish heritage and, and, and probably still gets to hear a lot of Scottish accents. And I just want, wondered now um, to your very attuned ear, Swithin, how Scottish is Andrew's accent these days and how Australian oh, it's is still very Scottish. Yeah, still very Scottish. Yeah. Because <laughs> Swithin, I know, I know that I've, I've seen TV interviews with you before, so I know you're famous. You know, I've uh, I've saw that you did an interview with BBC back in 2010. Yes. Uh, I think you've shown everybody in the world that on uh, <laughs> who, who, who's interested. So, no, nobody's yeah. got a nobody's got a choice but to see that. But actually, yeah. I'm actually equally as as famous. You know, because I was I was on Landline this Sunday. I, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and most of the comments about your orange beard. Beard, uh, and that's that's watched by over a quarter of a million people every every Sunday in Australia. And uh, that's the one thing that's really irritated me about that is, I've had two opportunities in the last two weeks. I did some market update videos for for a company, and they sent them to me and said, "Have a watch of these. Are you happy with the content?" And I did the landline and. My wife says you sound like an Australian, uh, and I'm just wondering if I'm if I'm in a sort of a limbo land. Where, where Colin and I, Colin and I is coming back to Australia so she can start well, to sound more Australian. You well, need to go back well, to. You know, if if I go to my mates back home, they say I sound like Harold Bishop from Home and Away. <laughs> when when I when I when I when I talk to Australians, they think I sound like Begbie from Train Spotting. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in no man's land. The only, the only other feedback my wife had was that Matt Brand has to do up his top shirt. Uh, the, button, but, the button on his yeah, the top. Uh, top shirt. It must be something about Matt's with the shirts. Um, open. For, for me, uh, you're more Begbie than Harold Bishop, and I also had um, issues with my top button when I did the BBC interview. Um, my top button was undone. I was showing it a bit too much chest. But. Well, it's you know if you've got it, flaunt it. Matt. <laughs> so, look, I think we don't we don't want to take up too much more yeah. of your time, Swiffin. I got one more question. Well, Go ahead. What is the biggest challenge for the grain trade in the next ten years? I think the biggest challenge and maybe the biggest opportunity is. And technology and how um, that's developing. I think that uh, we've got a lot to do to you know, persuade people that these new technologies are worth investigating and um, educating that uh, you know GMO, as long as it's scientifically proven to be safe, um, needn't be feared. I think that um, there's a lot of um, issues around that. You know, Frankenstein Foods. Uh, look at all the issues around. Um, you know, Brazilian millers not wanting to touch Argentine wheat if it's being contaminated with GM wheat. I think that um, there's a lot of uh, issues just around um, GM and technology overall. But I think certainly blockchain has a big part to play in our future. So I think that's an interesting and exciting development. It will give transparency, it will give speed. I think if you look at how the futures markets have uh, gone from open outcry to electronic trade and the volumes have been increased, uh, the speed has been increased, the costs have been decreased. I think the, the that, traceability uh, too, Swithin of blockchain, yeah. you, you know, that's becoming such a absolutely. crucial factor. Sustainability, I think, is a big buzzword, but I think that it absolutely is vital for us to ensure that you know we are producing food sustainably. And I think blockchain can 
have a big, big role to play in that because people like to see where their food is being grown. You know, on coffee nowadays, you can actually scan these uh, you know, barcodes or whatever and uh, see where the farm is. It's fantastic. So I think um, more of that will be um, most welcomed by consumers. It's going to be... What, what, I was actually talking to somebody today about, about markets. Well, I talk about, people, about markets every day to people, but there was a, an interesting conversation I actually had with uh, one of your friends, actually, from uh, Market Check, who write the Australian Grain Review. Okay. And uh, it, was, it was quite interesting that the point of it was, isn't it, aren't markets amazing, really? Like, really? We, we, we had a great year last year. We're having another great year, but in, in Australia. But no year is the same. No. Every year is absolutely so much different, and it just makes it worthwhile being in this industry because mm. there's always, you know, huge challenges, and it's always a case of, you know, it's all these unknowns. And I think I think the last four years has been bloody really good fun. Yeah. Like, yeah. So many, like, you can't even call them a Black Swan event because they're just events now. And it's just, you know, fascinating fun just to see – all the influences we're having in the marketplace at the moment. So it's a fantastic dynamic um, market, the grain market, and I, I love it. Um, great people. It's uh, always changing, always stuff going on, and you have to follow so many different um, geographical locations. Uh, know what's going on with weather and politics, and you know, those two are the the known unknowns, if you like, as to where the changes are going to be. Um, but they're so unpredictable, so you have to follow quite closely. And yeah, it's a real roller coaster. But I, uh, you know, what you should do, uh, Swiffin. You should me. set up. You should set up a Twitter account. Oh, one, maybe. one, one day you should set up a, a Twitter account. I think you'd you'd love it. So okay, I'll certainly bear it in mind. <laughs> so again, Swiffin, like thanks very much for taking the time out this this for a morning for you and an evening for us. Uh, we're actually very lucky we could even do this because we had a very big storm that came through this afternoon. Wiped out all of the Australian crop. It has actually. We we actually you'll see in the news. This is this is just on fresh off the press. It doesn't constitute any investment advice. It does not constitute investment advice, but there are some big issues at the moment. We've had a lot of hail come through, okay. and so and so for all the farmers who are listening, which we have a lot of farmers listening. Uh, in, in, in sort of South Australia and, and uh, Western Victoria, we hope, hopefully you haven't had mm. hail damage, but we do know there's a lot of hail damage to uh, a lot of the wheat crop, but also a lot of the Barossa Varley wine crop. Oh dear. So, so it is, is pretty bad. And we had our towns where luckily we were, the rain went north and south of us, uh, but pretty, pretty bad rainfall actually. So we will see what the damage is like tomorrow morning when people wake up, but it will be a little bit of shine off of the, the harvest for a lot of people. Just um, as you're coming, just as you're coming into the lake there, Geneva, uh, near where you are, there's quite a few vineyards on the, on the train down from Zurich to Geneva. There's a lot yeah. of kind of north, or it must be southern facing vineyards. Yeah, they're in that direction. Uh, the most beautiful ones um, that are on the mountainside uh, running into the lake um, it's a actually a unesco world heritage site is it because i used to a different life i was a country trader and i spent a lot of time going there to visit as a bcvg bank cantonale with the 
yeah. uh, in Geneva, um, and they've just got offices out in that in that area, not probably not far from the head offices there. Um, yeah. And uh, I always used to look at the look at those wineries as I was coming down from Zurich, and it was just such a beautiful part of the world. So yeah, unfortunately, so unfortunately, you are uh, Switzerland to uh, to be there. Yeah, it's a beautiful part of the world. Love love living here. Right. Oh, well, thanks very much, Swiffin, for coming along. Really enjoyed that. Always, always informative as always. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon to talk about blockchain, I reckon. I'd like Thank to do it because we, we haven't actually spoken about blockchain and mm-hmm. I don't really know what it is. So we can talk about it another time with pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers, Matt. Nice see, you when you get, see you when you've got nothing on. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.